0: and thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Canadian Apartment Properties REIT First Quarter 2021 Results Conference Call. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to turn the call over to Mr. David Mills. Please go ahead.
1: Uh, Thank you, Michelle and good morning everyone. Before we begin, let me remind everyone that the following discussion may include comments that constitute forward-looking statements about expected future events and the financial and operating results of Capri. Our actual results may differ materially from these forward-looking statements as such statements are subject to certain risks and uncertainties. Discussions concerning these risk factors, the forward-looking statements and the factors and assumptions on which they are based can be found in TAPREACH regulatory filings, including our annual information form and MDNA, which can be attained at CDAR.com. I'll now turn things over to Mark Kenny, President and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead, sir. Thanks, David. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Scott Fryer, our Chief Financial Officer, is also with me this morning. To quickly review 2020, despite operating for almost a full year, Under the COVID-19 pandemic, CAPRI produced another record year of results for its unit holders. All of our key performance benchmarks were up over the prior year. Organic growth was strong, we continued to expand our property portfolio, and the ongoing strong fundamentals of the residential rental real estate sector resulted in a significant increase in the value of our asset base. Clearly, Our focused and proven asset allocation strategy is working, delivering solid and stable returns for our unit holders in both good and bad times. Over the last 24 years, we've built the team, the assets and the operating platform to continue our growth and strong performance. And we we look for continued success this year and going forward. Turning to slide five and our results for the first quarter of 2021, you can see we continue to adapt very well to the pandemic. We have maintained our track record of solid growth and performance. Our stability and resiliency during these challenging times is a testament to the skill and dedication of our people, the strength of our asset base and the enduring strong fundamentals of the residential rental real estate sector. For the three months ended March 31st, 2021, we generated solid, accretive growth in revenues, NOI, and NFFO. It's important to remember that it wasn't until the end of last year's first quarter that the pandemic began to affect our markets. From an operating perspective, our ability to generate solid performance in both good times and bad is clearly demonstrated by the results for our stabilized portfolio, as you can see on slide six. Occupancies remain strong, while net average monthly rents rose again, driven by modest pandemic affected increases on turnovers and renewals. Our track record of organic growth also continues, with same property NOI up a solid 2.4% driven by same property revenue growth of 1.9%, while maintaining a strong NOI margin of 64.5%. Our leasing and marketing programs, despite the pandemic, continue to generate a track record of solid occupancies as you can see on slide 7. After over a year of operating under significant restrictions placed on us by the the pandemic, our occupancy has only declined by less than 1% since the pandemic started. We believe this is solid performance. Having said that, we are not out of the woods yet, and the third wave of the pandemic continues to negatively affect our markets and our business. We don't see a return to better times until the rollout of vaccines is substantially completed and we can quickly return to our historical, near full levels across the entire portfolio. We are hoping to see a return to strong growth in the later half of 2021. It is also important to note that we have experienced very few collection issues as we work with our residents to ensure we collect our rents as efficiently as possible. Bad debt as a percentage of total revenues remains as small and manageable and generally in keeping with our normal collection track record. A key factor in our ability to generate solid returns during the pandemic is the solid increase in rents on turnover we are achieving as shown on slide eight. Clearly turnovers continue to be impacted by the ability of our residents to move or personally visit our properties. Still, a 3.4% increase on turnover in the Canadian portfolio is a solid result. And we expect to return to our more traditionally higher increases once the vaccine rollout is substantially complete and the pandemic eases. Also remember that the higher increases in last year's first quarter reflect the fact that the pandemic had not really impacted our business through that period. Renewals have been affected by rent increases freezes we implemented in Canada on April 1st last year to help our residents work through these challenging times. We have slowly been implementing modest rent increases in certain markets where possible in consultation with our residents. In the Netherlands all these renewals occur only once a year in July. However, we expect to see another solid year of rent increases in this portfolio in 2021 with the blended increases of between 3 and 4% on suites supported by strong rental uplifts on turnover. Slide 9 <clears throat> summarizes the many successful initiatives that we have introduced to mitigate the impacts of the pandemic. And as you can see, these programs continue to mitigate the issues we face due to the pandemic. As we discussed over the last year, we began early in 2020 to implement programs aimed at getting closer to our residents, communicating with them, understanding the issues that they're facing, and helping them to stay in their homes while at the same time collecting as much rent as possible. Clearly, these initiatives have proven effective. Our Compassionate Care program is seeing an average of 3,500 to 4,500 calls to residents each month. We generated over 2,400 new leases in the first quarter of 2021. This was accomplished by continuing to support much of our leasing activities online, in addition to safely arranging in-person viewings. To facilitate more efficient rent collections, Today, more than 85% of our rents are now paid electronically. These programs have a lasting and positive impact on cash flows. And as I mentioned, bad debt stood at only 0.6% of revenues as of quarter end, while over 99% of our rents have been collected. We are very proud of these achievements and remain confident that these programs will result in stable collections moving forward. I'll now turn things over to Scott. Thanks, Mark.
2: Turning to slide 11, we can see that we maintained a strong financial position at quarter end with a conservative debt to gross book value and continuing high liquidity. Our almost $1.2 billion in Canadian unencumbered properties provide additional liquidity should it be needed. In addition, we have $580 million in liquidity available through our credit facility. In total, if we were to access all these sources of capital, we have available liquidity of over $1.7 billion. and even if we did this, our leverage ratio would still remain a very conservative 43%. Looking at our financing in the first quarter, we locked in a very low interest rate of 2.2% on average on our refinancing and top-ups, and we expect we will continue to benefit from the current low interest rate environment for some time. At quarter end, over 99% of our mortgages incurred a fixed interest rate. We are also confident that the debt markets and financing will will remain highly available for our properties, given the stability and strong fundamentals of the rental residential business. As of March 31st, 2021, 99% of our Canadian properties hold CMHC-insured mortgages. As you can see on slide 12, we continue to maintain strong and flexible financial position with a reduced and conservative leverage ratio of only 35.2%, strengthened coverage ratios, including an almost four times interest coverage, and historically low interest costs on a mortgage portfolio of 2.82% for the Canadian portfolio, with a weighted average term to maturity increasing to close to six years. Our mortgage portfolio remains well balanced as shown on slide 13 and in any given year no more than 13% of the total mortgages come due, thereby reducing risk in a rising interest rate environment. Looking ahead, our current ability to top up remaining mortgages through 2035 will provide further significant liquidity for the future. You can also see on this graph that we have considerable opportunity to reduce our long-term interest costs in today's very attractive interest rate environment. With the current five-year and 10-year estimated rates of between one75 and 2.6% are well below expiring mortgages, mortgage rates of between 2.8% and 3.3% over the next three or four years. I'll now turn
1: things back to Mark to wrap up. Thanks, Scott. Looking ahead, we see a number of very positive value drivers that we are confident will generate strong and growing returns for our unit holders over the long term. In addition to portfolio growth, we continue to see very strong acquisition pipeline in our key markets. We believe value will be driven by our successful asset allocation strategy. Our focus on strong urban markets rebounding immigration, the return to in-class learning, and the younger demographic moving back to apartments and away from home, the increasing size of the seniors' population, and with all of these fundamentals generating further appreciation of our asset base. Let's have a quick look at each of these value drivers. A key factor in our success has been our focused asset allocation strategy as detailed on slide 15. We continue to target value-add apartment properties in the mid-tier segment. These properties can be acquired at well under 50% of replacement cost. We have proven our ability to invest in them to increase value and their stability is driven by the very affordable rental rates that the buildings offer. We also like the MHC sector, a highly stable low-risk business with very strong potential to increase cash flows. Revenues are highly stable and with residents owning their own homes, capital requirements and maintenance needs are significantly reduced. MHC properties also provide another level of diversification within our portfolio, allowing us to enter more rural and smaller markets than our residential focus on large urban regions. Additionally, with home ownership costs rising significantly across the country, MHCs provide the real alternative as prices have not appreciated to the same extent. Our European presence is also driving real value. Dividends from our ownership interest in EREs are strong and stable, while fee income for our asset and property management services in both the Netherlands and Ireland continue to grow. As the only professionally managed operating platform in Europe, the opportunities for further growth and enhanced value are significant. We are also able to capitalize on very low cost European debt to finance our growth at attractive returns. A second key value driver is our focus on Canada's three largest and most vibrant rental markets, Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver. As we have noted before, our focus is on the more suburban markets rather than seeking downtown locations, properties that are attracting increased demand as families seek more space at affordable levels. As you can see on slide 16, in addition to offering quality rental accommodation in these high-demand markets, our rents constitute a very manageable percentage of total disposable income for our residents. Our rates between $1.50 and $2 per foot are clearly affordable compared to other rental alternatives. For example, in Toronto, rents for new build and condo rentals are going for upwards of $3 to $5 per square foot. Quality properties, more space at affordable rents, this is the cap rate value proposition. Immigration has always been a demand driver in our markets, but it's significantly reduced over the last year due to the pandemic and travel restrictions, as you can see on slide 17. However, the pace is picking up and we believe this trend will accelerate in the months ahead. The number of international students in Canada has also been impacted through the pandemic. Normally numbering, In and about the 650,000 number in Canada, international students have declined significantly during the pandemic. Compounding these issues is the closing of in-class learning and what we call household consolidation. Young people have returned home to live during the pandemic to manage costs, and we don't see them returning to the rental market until vaccines have been fully rolled out. As I stated earlier, we don't believe we will see a return to more normal markets until the rollout of vaccines is substantially complete. Younger people returning to rental living and away from home and international students as they return. We believe the demographics are also on our side as seniors increasingly look to the rental market to meet their needs with significant equity in their homes and seeking a single floor living space as the best place to age, aging millennials are another strong and growing demand driver in our markets. As you can see on slide 18, the population of Canadians aged 65 and older continues to grow, accounting for over 23% of the population, or more than 9.5 million people by 2030. We believe that our quality and well-positioned portfolio offering more space and more affordable rates than smaller condos will see an increased demand from this demographic group. Finally, we believe all of these strong market fundamentals will increase the value of our property portfolio going forward. Slide 19 details current cap rates for our own properties in the three of our key markets. Over the past few months, we have seen significant compression comparable market cap rates for completed transactions in these cities, as pension funds and other increasingly others increasingly recognize the positive fundamentals in the residential rental sector. For example, recent transactions in the GTA have seen stabilized cap rates as low as 3%, and even lower at 2.1% for properties with development potential. Montreal has seen purchases as low as 3.6% and around 3% for properties with development potential and Vancouver rates are as low as 2.3% and even lower for properties with development potential. We recorded a significant $600 million increase in the fair value of our portfolio in 2020 and expect to see further increase in asset value going forward with increasing demand and little new supply of rental accommodation in these and other markets, we believe the value of our property portfolio will only grow and provide another strong driver for unit holder returns over the long term. In summary, we are very excited about our opportunities for future growth and enhanced unit unit holder value. Our focus on the mid-tier sector meets increased demand for affordable high-quality homes. Our predominantly suburban location outside downtown cores, and our larger-sized suites, townhomes, and MHC sites are meeting the needs for renters seeking more space. We are experiencing a strong pipeline of accretive acquisition opportunities and expect to see solid portfolio growth in the quarters ahead. The continuing low-interest-rate environment provides significant opportunities to acquire properties with strong cap rate spreads and to reduce interest rate costs on our refinancing initiatives. Our industry-leading balance sheet, leverage and liquidity position all add up for growth going forward. And with demographic trends and increasing immigration, we are confident we will continue to drive value for our unit holders in the years ahead. In closing, I want to thank everyone at Capri for their hard work and dedication over the last 18 months and also to our residents for their patience during these challenging times. We are very proud of our results this quarter, a period when we experienced the height of the pandemic brought on by the third wave. Considering that last year's first quarter was partially strong, particularly strong, given the pandemic did not affect our markets until the end of March our performance this quarter has been even more exceptional thank you for your attention this morning and we would now be pleased to take any questions that you may have
0: thank you if anybody would like to ask a question
1: please press star
0: one on your telephone keypad your next your first question comes from matt logan from rbc capital Markets. Your line is open
1: Thank you, and good morning. Good morning, morning, Matt. As we start to get closer to a reopening, can you talk about how you expect your portfolio will perform by region?
4: And maybe if I put it a little bit differently, do you think the operating performance over the next 12 months will be driven by the few areas in your portfolio where you have some vacancy, or if the vaccine progress and immigration will be the key drivers going forward?
1: that immigration is just the the foundation for strong growth in the years to come. It's household consolidation that is going to be the absolute driver. So, you know, what we believe is that, and there are no statistics, is that there is unprecedented household consolidation of people 30 years and younger living at home during the pandemic. You know, what I tell investors is basically, mom said, come home. And until this thing is over and you get a vaccine. So the thinking is we had no change in supply during the pandemic. And we've had our population has only grown. So where where is everybody? Well, overwhelmingly, they're at home. And that has what's created weakness in the rental market. So as as moms and dads get comfortable that, you know, kids are safe with vaccines, you will see a very strong wave of uh, return to the sector. And, and quite frankly, when you had a housing crisis in Q1 of 2020, that hasn't changed. It's just kids are at home, and that's where the people are.
4: So I guess the focus really will be on how market rents move and if turnover starts to pick up as, you know, we all get vaccinated.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, in the case of Capri, you know, we're we're holding in there with only, you know, 3% vacancy which is really focused on about 10 assets. So the, the return of um, occupancy um, will be very, very fast and, and specific to, to the areas where people get vaccines. And in terms of rental growth, there's no reason to believe we wouldn't return to pre-pandemic levels if not higher. You know, the cost of housing has accelerated tremendously during this pandemic. And, and if anything, apartments have become even more affordable. So, you know, this, this is the, the situation that we find ourselves in, um, which is very unusual. It's, it's, it's For the most part, it's kids at home and international students that aren't here. And in Capri's case, it's really restricted to about 10 assets. Agreed. And if we think about your leasing traction year to date, can you give us a sense for either how occupancy or leads
4: have tracked on a monthly basis? And if we've seen the bottom for demand?
1: Nope, we're in it right now. (laughs) It's absolutely correlated to case count and traffic. And when you think about it, it's just common sense. Like, the third wave hit us harder than the first and the second because lockdown measures and just fear of looking for an apartment during lockdown. So as we see case counts go down, we see a direct correlation of our our traffic going up. So in recent weeks, we have seen an increase in traffic as, as case counts have dropped off. But we found during the first and second wave, traffic is 100% correlated to case counts. It makes sense to me. And maybe last question on my end. With significant transaction activity in your markets, you talked about uh, where you've seen some of those cap rates going sub-3% in the GTA. If we think about your 339 IFRS cap rate uh, in that same market, how much cap rate
4: compression could we see over the course of, you know, the next say six to twelve months?
1: There appears to be major lessons learned by investors during the pandemic, and the wall of capital for multifamily that was high pre-pandemic is higher today. There's more conviction around multifamily than than I've ever seen. Now. Throughout my career, I've been saying there's more interest in multifamily than I've ever seen, but we've learned during the pandemic that that wall of capital and interest in multifamily has grown even more. So um, we're seeing a a window here of private uh, owners selling into lower cap rates and and institutional capital, um, highly interested in the sector. Well, I appreciate the commentary. That's all for me. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thanks, Matt.
0: And the next question will come from Jonathan Kelcher from TD Securities. Your line is open.
1: Thank you. Uh, good morning. Morning, Jonathan. Good morning,
4: Jonathan. Um, the first, first question just those 10 assets, Mark, that you said have, uh, I guess, the majority of your, your vacancy. Um, where
1: Where would, like, what type of assets are those? Student-focused buildings, downtown core. So, okay, front of, front of have, we have a couple of assets that are in very close proximity to universities. Um, we have one on the University of Alberta campus in Edmonton, and a couple in Halifax. And then, when you move into sort um, kind of the next tier, it's um, downtown located buildings. Um, mm-hmm. Wherever the pandemic has been hit the strongest is. It's, again, that cohort of 30 under that mom and dad said come home. And so wherever you see high case count, it's that cohort exactly that's caused weakness. It's not the seniors. It's not families. It's the cohort of under 30. So the final place we saw it was in the uh, the luxury end. Um, so, you know, one we have one brand-new asset that targets that cohort downtown Toronto, and it's, it's also been quite quite impaired. But again, you'll see a fast rise to demand um, in those markets because the unusual thing that's happened in places like Toronto and uh, Vancouver, Montreal, is that investors that owned individual units sold a lot of those units into end-user hands during the pandemic. So we believe, the stats will come out, but I, I hold the belief, that the rental universe has actually gotten smaller as private sellers that couldn't rent their Airbnb units or couldn't rent their higher-priced condos sold into end-user hands. Now we'll see if that plays itself out, but anecdotally, this is what I'm hearing um, across the board. A lot of investors sold their their investment units during the pandemic because they had to. So much tighter market coming out of this. I think the fundamentals were, are going to be good for for new construction. Fundamentals will be good, obviously, for mid-tier portfolio like Capri's.
4: Okay. Um, just on the your your tenant inducements, they they have kicked up the last two or three quarters. Are is it, Are you using them with more in some markets than other others? And then how do you see that playing out going forward?
1: Well, Capri has not been a tenant inducement. Um, culture in our 24-year year history, we've been chasing ghost tenants during this pandemic because traffic levels have plummeted as each wave showed up. But as um, the uh, case counts go, just like traffic, you can expect to see a falling off of our new tenant incentives. Now, our tenant incentives we put in place, we amortize over the first year of the lease, so there's going to be a bit of a run rate um, that will last, I believe, until first quarter of next year. but newly initiated incentives I expect to fall off dramatically in in uh, the third quarter. We're already starting to see a uh, reduction in use. We monitor them very very closely um, but again directly related to case count reports and directly related obviously to our traffic. Okay that's uh, that's helpful I'll turn it back thanks.
0: And your next question will come from Brad Sturgis from Raymond James. Your line is open.
4: Hi there. Um, just to follow on those questions, I guess if you see an uptick on, on the leasing activity, is that the the tipping
1: point in terms of maybe willing to take on a little bit more vacancy and hold out for a better rate? It's a great question, Brad. So throughout the pandemic, we've tried to call vaccine rollouts because when we got clarity, on the pandemic coming to an end. That in my mind is the time to build vacancy to properly capture market rents. So we thought we were seeing it in the first <laughs> in the in the first quarter there, we thought, geez, this is gonna vaccine rolls are gonna hit us and we're gonna be, be in great shape. Um, we had a couple of weeks of confusion. I now believe that we're gonna be marching towards you know, 50% vaccination sooner than later. We're almost there, and we'll see what happens with case counts in the next few weeks. I think the next few weeks are critical. And and as we see that happen, we know the rental market's going to light up. Kids are kids are under 30s. will do not want to be at home. This is not a a rental trend. It's it's just a matter of getting vaccinated and getting back to life. Okay, and
4: then I guess the lockdowns had an impact on. R&M costs, uh, do you see that essentially catching up in
1: the back half of the year when we do open up? Not not of significance. Like our, our teams have been, as I said, like we're so proud of the Capri team. They've been working tirelessly through this pandemic. And while they can't go into units in some cases, the I, I don't expect to be seeing a, a lag effect in costs. Okay. Um,
4: and, and at this point, I guess, you're seeing a very strong deal pipeline. Um, I guess last call, you talked about similar volumes to 2020 in terms of annual volume. I guess any change in expectations here based on what you're seeing or you stick to your, your original commentary?
1: <laughs> yeah, like volumes are out there. It's a matter of us targeting value. And, and so like it's really a situation of how much capital is chasing and how aggressive the capital is going to be so we'll we'll stay disciplined in in our accretive hurdles. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to underwrite. It's whether or not um, the the aggression around pricing um, outpaces Capri. And But I'm not I'm I'm quite confident that there's enough opportunities across the the country that we will you know, continue to underwrite deals and, and, and be successful. You, you've seen our, Brad, our success rate, which it's quite low. <laughs> but fortunately, we're underwriting so many deals, we, we tend to be um, able to bring in, you know, decent, decent amounts of, uh, of growth, but not at the expense of anything. Earnings per share is our focus at rate, not not growing the number of units and the size of the portfolio. Great. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thanks.
0: And your next question comes from Joanne Chen from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open.
5: Hi, good morning. Uh, maybe just thinking on the acquisition pipeline side, you know, in terms of kind of the opportunities that you're seeing, or would these be kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of more one-off deals, or are you, you know, are there increasing opportunities with respect to larger portfolio sales? It's a
1: mix of both. you got... Really what you have is the private sector seeing valuations at extremely high levels and then generalized fear around the future of capital gains taxes. So I think in a lot of cases, families are looking at their portfolios, big and small, and and uh, thinking that maybe a time to liquidate if there's not succession in owning the portfolios for the next generation. So it's just it's just a matter of the valuations being so 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 robust and capital gains fierce. But it, it's not unique to one particular uh, demographic of ownership in apartments. It's large portfolios and it's small. Got it.
5: Um, maybe just uh, shifting back to the operation side of things with. Can you kind of comment on how, you know, I know we're still in a lockdown and all, but, you know, kind of how turnover activity post the quarter had trended?
1: Um, There's no a sort of, I wouldn't call a trend of any sort. Um, you've got a combination of uh, people that were going to move have moved, and it's not a great time to be moving in or out during a, a wave of a pandemic. So I expect the trend will emerge as the third wave completes. I do think there's a lot of um, pent-up activity, but there's more inbound activity at this point than outbound activity. People that were going to move have had the ability to give either 30- or 60-day notice, depending what province you're in, and they've made those decisions. So it's really, um, it'll be a rapid return to uh, uh, market rents and, and vacancy shore up.
5: And I guess just on that, with respect to market rents, uh, what are you uh, seeing right now in terms of kind of your opportunity there for mark-to-market in in some of your key markets right now?
1: We're seeing a mild uh, increase because we're essentially, at this point, comfortable with building a little more vacancy because we do see this third wave subsiding. I would not call trend on that quite yet, but it's getting pretty close. But I can assure you that as this pandemic eases case count wise, again, you will see a very rapid return to mark-to-market rents. I think I'd said pre-pandemic levels. And the reason being is the population has grown in Canada and the supply has not. So like, where is everybody? Well, there's one cohort that's at home and it's the under thirties. You can talk to pretty much anybody you know that's fifty year old enough and, and they've got kids at home for the most part. So it's not students. It's it's just that cohort of age, and and they are not planning to stay at home with mom and dad for the next twenty years. They're ready to go. Enough is enough. Is is that's that that's the belief that we hold? Right.
5: Um, okay. Now that that's helpful, but maybe just one last one for me on a bigger picture high level uh question with respect to you know post pandemic one you know uh, yeah hopefully soon <laughs> um but you know kind of your on uh, with respect to the overall industry on the regulatory front with respect to you know um in, in some of your discussion, perhaps with you know all of the players um what are you guys thinking in terms of the potential for um the Uh, for an extension of some of the rent freezes and caps uh, into 2022 or is it still too early to tell at this point?
1: I think it's too early to tell. I think it's going to have a lot to do with unemployment. It's going to have a lot to do with um, uh, pressures on, you know, how the economy is doing in general. Um, And it's going to have a lot to do with affordability, I guess, going forward, you know, the, the, strongest attribute of our portfolio is that the affordability proposition has actually gotten stronger during the pandemic for Capri, like the cost Mm -hmm. of homes as we all know has just skyrocketed. So the alternative housing source is quality rental, we think is in the mid-tier, the perfect place to be. So the fundamentals are going to be incredibly strong. How governments react to that is is different by province, but I, I can't provide any sort of meaningful insights on that.
5: Um, okay, no, that's still uh, helpful. Uh, that's it for me. I'll, I'll turn it back. Thanks. Thank you. Your next question will come from Mario Sarek from...
6: Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, first question, just coming back to the acquisition pipeline. I think uh, last quarter, Mark, you kind of highlighted uh, enthusiasm over 200 basis point type. Cap rate spreads historically have been 80 to 120, let's say, within the market. Um, you know, Some of the cap rates that you highlighted in the GTA, Montreal, Vancouver, kind of stabilized three, Montreal three and a half, Vancouver 2.3 or so. Scott talked about the 10-year being at 2.6 in terms of financing cost. Uh, how do you how do you make that work? Uh, is there you it, go. In different markets. <laughs> So how do do you make those spreads work?
1: So you're you're on the uh, the edge of the double-edged sword. So um, during the pandemic, we saw rates fall tremendously, and and uh, portfolios come available, and those spreads were there. As financing costs have increased, the spreads are are tightened. Where does that leave Capri? It leaves us in one of two places. If cap cap rates continue to compress with interest rates the way they are, we will not be successful in growing. But what we will be phenomenally successful in is NAV appreciation. Because as we lose and the market reveals higher valuations for apartment buildings, our portfolio only grows in value. And I, I, I would suggest it to be significant. So, you know, if we're not able to buy, it just means the enthusiasm for apartments is is extremely strong. So the the second thing that we we look at, it's not just the spread, it's the growth prospects of, of income in particular assets. So I've always used that example of 150 basis points with 5% growth. Um, that kind of used that number. If it's 200 basis points with 3% growth, it's kind of the same proposition. And if it's 120 basis points with 9% growth, it's the same proposition. So it's all moving around that kind of idea in in markets that you can call as stable and growing. And that's where it becomes a little more complicated. But knowing the math on spread is quite easy when you buy. It's knowing the growth where expertise comes into play. So I do think it's tight in mario, but I think the growth... Uh, potential has increased, and at a very minimum, the prospects of value creation for the cap rate asset base has has never looked better.
6: In in your opinion, is there enough potential uh, supply coming onto the market, I'm talking about uh, properties as opposed to construction, uh, such that cap rates uh, could start to reverse a little bit and start seeing it tick higher?
1: No. Unfortunately, the um, messaging from government has been increased immigration, and uh, we all welcome that, but without meaningful housing policy to accelerate the development of rental, I think that we're going to find ourselves in this supply-constrained environment. We were there before the pandemic. The pandemic did not accelerate the development of rental. Our population did not go down, and we're calling for increased immigration numbers, unprecedented, never seen before immigration numbers going forward. So the fundamentals are just uh, I- incredible, and where solutions need to be sought is in the acceleration of development for rental. That just isn't happening, unfortunately, at this point in the in the markets that need it the most.
6: Right. Um, you mentioned, or you highlighted some of your. Portfolio IFRS cap rates on one of the slides in the deck. And presumably those are are simple property cap rates. Whereas some of the cap rates that you're highlighting on the private market uh, would include portfolio premiums uh, within those valuations. Uh, uh, the public market isn't subscribing significant NAV premiums for the multifamily weeks today. In the private market, what's uh, what's your estimation in terms of where portfolio premiums are going? For, for larger transactions?
1: I think uh, well, there's lots of people that would like to build platforms in Canada and meet that math. So depending on the size of the portfolio, I think it, it would range narrow when you get into those portfolios that are kind of plus 1500 suites, I would say 15 basis points to maybe a high of 25 basis points. Um, And again, it depends on the players. So, you know, a lot of uh, uh, buyers of apartments are not following the cap rate 35% 35 leverage model. They're leveraging much higher and using shorter money. where returns are far more interesting. So hard for me to call (laughs) because uh, people organize their capital differently and and lever with different appetites. So, but I think that it's fair to say you know, anywhere between 1,500 suites and 5,000 suites, you see portfolio premium. When you start going over that number, you kind of, you know, shrink the pool of those that can actually cough up the kind of money that's required. So I think those premiums fall off at the over 5,000 suite portfolio range. It's hard to say. There's not too much evidence, really, in the marketplace. I'm just speculating.
6: My, my last question just comes back to uh, you know, this quarter, you omitted the kind of the mark to market discussion, uh, kind of setting the pandemic uncertainty uh, last quarter. I think you know it was about 20% or so. Uh, is, is the omission just simply because of the magnitude of the third wave, or it, you know, is it an indication that uh, perhaps the mark to market was uncertain the last couple of quarters? And just correcting that. Like, has I, anything I changed?
1: This quarter. Well, well you know, I'll, just, just, I'll, let, I'll let Scott chime in here, but at, at the end of the day, Mario, we started feeling a little bit embarrassed claiming that our mark-to-market was 20% and producing single digits. So we've got the pandemic effect going on, and so I think it's, it's very difficult to say what market rent is when we're evidence is otherwise. So at, at this point, we felt it was misleading to say one thing and produce another. When people ask me, what's your mark-to-market, I'll say, look at our last quarter of turnover increases, and that's our mark-to-market. That's what we're actually achieving. So, that, what would you add to that? Yeah.
2: No, I think that I think that's bang on. I mean, it's it's really we just felt like you know there's not enough market evidence today to have as much confidence in that number. I mean, we build that number up at a you know property level at a unit level. Um, you know, we involve marketing, and so you know we felt comfortable with that number um, in previous quarters. But just given the environment. There's just not a lot uh, to say when that will change, um, when markets will come back. Um, so we didn't want it to be misleading. Um, you know, we know we know that there's always a disconnect between what we're what we're getting on turnover. Like if you look pre-pandemic, we were getting 13 to 15 percent. We're saying our market rents are 20. That's because a lot of the same units turn over. Um, and so the, the increases aren't as much. And a lot of the older leases have bigger mark to market. So, you know, we're confident with the data before with just the uncertainty of the current environment. It didn't feel uh, it didn't feel appropriate to include that guidance
6: right now. Okay. okay. That makes sense. For the color of Thanks.
0: Thanks. And your next question will come from Mike Marquettez. The line is open. Good
6: morning everybody. Good
1: morning Mike. Good morning.
6: Just on that uh, maybe another way to ask Mario's question Have you guys calculated what your spreads within the last couple of quarters if you exclude those 10 most impacted? How's that? Do you have
2: Sorry, saying like mark to market, like the, the rental lift or? The rental list,
6: yeah, just because we're, we're talking about the pandemic and I'm talking about it's really specific. To the mm-hmm. map, but I'm just wondering if the leasing spread over the last couple of quarters it would be materially different if you X those out of the, uh, the average.
2: I can't say we've done that math. Yeah. I don't know, Mark, if you have anything
1: to add, but I haven't specifically done that math. It's a good good idea. (laughs) Um, I I think the the answer, Mike, is that those properties will return to pre-pandemic levels and the rest of the portfolio will return to pre-pandemic levels. Like, the reality is that 80% of our portfolio is is just moving along fine. Um, I just think it's it's related to the pandemic there's nowhere in Canada where you haven't had some degree of slowdown in traffic and interest and nowhere in Canada you haven't had uh the under 30s going home so I think not to simplify but I think we would just go back to using q1 2020 as a decent benchmark and if not and growing from there
6: um I think on on you know we've been talking about the active deal market market A couple months ago you I think you would have said it, anything, and correct me if I'm just quoting you, but on any given day you typically be underwriting two hundred or two hundred and fifty million dollars of acquisitions and I think in late March it was five billion. Um and I think you know the chatter there is a pretty substantial portfolio that's been hold. So what would what would that stat or comparative be today?
1: Um I would say going by memory based in deals that we're underwriting. So deals that we're currently underwriting in the marketplace, I would call it a quantum of $600 million of opportunity that's out there. Um, and like I said, I in the core markets, my enthusiasm around being successful was probably low. Um, but this brings me back to the valuation increase of the cap rate portfolio. So all that we know is that as we lose more deals, the value of the portfolio continues to surge.
6: For sure. Okay, and um, last one for me. Um, I don't want to be accused of tripping over the pennies and not paying attention to the dollars in terms of your occupancy and rent spread potential in 2022, but your GNA you did we strip out that 700000 was up materially from year over year and compared to where you were running and yeah. gave guidance for this being a reasonable run rate for the rest of this year can, can you just to help us understand the inflation um, even though reduction in travel and all that
2: stuff um, yeah yeah. I think you know if we look at 2019 our top line G&A you know, not none of the asset management fees that we have was about 46 million and, and last year is was down to 43 so you know I think Mark and I tried to our best to communicate that that was completely unrealistic to maintain going long-term um, those kind of savings were you know uh, associated with not hiring people um when, when people left obviously a lot of the the cost that you're talking about so you know our we're trying to say we we hope things will get back to normal. Um, and if they do, it'll probably be in that $54 million range. The reality is we're, that's kind of our budget and we're, we're well short of our budget as an, as a positive right now. Um, so, you know, that's probably on the high side and it, and it assumes a return to somewhat normal, um, cost, but, uh, there are the acquisition costs, there's some severance costs and some, some new hires, um, there's also some costs associated with IRAs management contract and kind of us trying to work through that. Um, so it, that guidance, I would say, is looking to be on the high side. Um, but definitely, you know, we take 2019 and then add some add some inflationary plus and growth costs to that. That's probably a better guidance.
6: Okay. Okay, gotcha. And uh, but just there wouldn't be any um free classes from authors that you may in that for the
2: no, not not, not really. I mean, the only thing like some of our departments that you know get capitalized to projects when we're doing big IT projects and stuff that's not happening because there's not um, a significant number of large projects happening right now, but nothing really between NOI um, at all. So the only other, the only other areas to keep an eye out for we, we added new disclosure on the, um, the GNA, but we also just around CMHC, um, premium write-off for this year will be another big year because we're gonna we're looking to be over a billion dollars in financing this year um probably even close to 1.2 billion um, which is incredible from an interest rate point of view it'll be almost 50 percent of our mortgages but that's going to come off with some some you know old premium write-off so just uh, we've added some disclosures at all just make sure you turn your attention to that as well. Oh no,
6: no, that's thanks point of that Can Just remind me, of, would you typically exclude that from your NFFO determination, or no? Would that be a, you
2: know, a No, not 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 in the current year. When we 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 did a um, we kind of did a cleanup last year, um, which we excluded, um, and included a lot of uh, prepayment of mortgages as well, um, because we we did right. extremely aggressive on our you know buy-down in mortgages to be able to lever up and, and get to that $1.4 we did last year. So um, so those were added back um, just because they were so large last year, but they'll, they'll be included in FFO
0: this year. Uh,
6: okay, thanks so much. No problem.
0: Your next question comes from Matt Kornak from National Bank Financial. Your line is open.
4: Hi, guys. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, just to uh, follow up on that last point, uh, the yield curve has uh, clearly steepened, uh, but judging from your committed or completed mortgages, uh, you're still going with 10-year financing. Uh, just wondering, you do have, I guess, a, a bit of room in 2026 and 27 to maybe do a bit shorter-term mortgage refinancing. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts in terms
2: of term on mortgages at this point? Yeah, we we definitely, like I would say, in the last five years we almost did um, solely 10-year. You know, we even did some 12s and 15s. Um, Mark and I have discussed moving to some shorter term. We think rates aren't going, you know, anywhere crazy anytime soon in our portfolio. By doing so much last year at a 10-year, we've given ourselves some space in the short term. So we'll do some 3s, 4s, and 5s. Fives. 5s um, fives and 10s are primary just because a lot of CM... We do work with a lot of CMBS lenders, which their, their pricing is usually off of 5s and 10s. Um, so it'll be majority of five and ten. Um, I'd say probably at least 30% of our portfolio will be five, five year or shorter uh,
1: this coming year. If I would add add to that, um, Matt, we've never really been leverage focused. So ten year always made a lot of sense. However, I think um, what we're coming to realize is that in the value add. Um, acquisitions, you're better off with five-year money because we simply add so much value over that five years that there's more equity to tap into in a shorter term, Whereas if you buy a value-add property and you lock the financing in long-term, you have to second mortgage to get at the created equity. So, you know, I'll use our Oshawa portfolio most recent acquisition as a great example. We feel that there'll be significant value-add opportunities in that portfolio. And therefore, you're better off with shorter financing to tap into as much low-cost equity as possible. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. From an underwriting
4: standpoint, though, you still would use 10-year financing as kind yeah, of a benchmark for cap rates.
1: We use cap rate leverage, and we use 10-year money. Then, what we do beyond that is really uh, management decision. But for the discipline of modeling. We model cap rate, portfolio leverage, and we model ten-year money.
4: And just quickly, you 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 noted stabilized cap rates. I know that's a bit of a <laughs> anybody's yeah. guess, but is that just stabilization of unoccupancy? I assume you're not stabilizing rent to market at this point for those calcs, are you? So,
2: so, sorry, stabilized cap rates.
4: Yeah, the, the quoted mm-hmm. stabilized cap rates, uh, even on transaction activity, not necessarily in terms of your IFRS values.
2: Yeah, I mean, the way the way we look at, I mean, if you're looking at some of our disclosure, obviously stabilizes, we've, we've held that property over the two years, so you can see the relative cap rate compression. Um, as far as how we stabilize our income, you know, that's... Uh, uh, that's a different discussion but um i am not sure if i'm answering your question or not if it's uh,
4: it, uh, it was more related to the the, the acquisitions uh, or, or sorry the market transactions that mark had, had noted uh, uh, three three caps like
1: the why oh,
4: yeah. for those are those yeah. uh right right
1: yeah yeah the word stabilize probably doesn't belong there the reality is that cap rates going in Depending on what income you're modeling, some people use broker income, some use their own. Everybody uses their own. So um, those going in cap rates, I was just trying to give indication of what we're seeing in the marketplace. But they do they do range in that kind of three three cap uh, three cap uh, range right now. Sure. No, oh, that makes sense. And last one for me,
4: um, you, the disclosed. Um, renewal percentage, I think was sub 10%, um, but you didn't see any increase in, in vacancy. So, so are people signing longer than 12-month leases at this point, or was it a pandemic-related uh, issue in terms
1: of the lower renewal percentage? No, it's it's strictly the, the uh, increased moratorium in Ontario and B.C. and a cap in Nova Scotia, 2%. Yeah, that's that's what's going, there's no, people are not signing, we're not offering longer leases as an incentive, um, which hold rents, we're, no change there. Okay, perfect, thanks guys. Thank you. This
0: brings us to the end of our Q&A session for today, I turn the call back over to Mr. Kenny for closing remarks.
1: Well, first of all, thank you everybody for your time and your attention today. If you do have any further questions, please don't hesitate to contact us at any time. Uh, Thanks again and uh,
3: have a great day.
0: Thank you everyone. This will conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect